Father, we do thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our midst. We thank you for the events and the fun things that you have prepared for us within our body. We just pray, Lord, that even this week as we head into the summer nights for just really, truly our congregation of all ages, we pray that you would bless our time with one another. And uh, we, we ask that you would grow us closer as a church family uh, to each other and, and to Christ. Uh, we thank you for this time that we have uh, to study your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us to understand uh, the things that are written here in Colossians, that we would have a, a clear understanding of who Christ is. Father, that we would uh, not just be here in this moment, but that we would have a clear understanding of how the scripture fits into our, our day-to-day life and the pulls of this world. Um, Lord, there are so many things that are working against you. And so, Father, we pray that you would, as your children, Lord, have clarity uh, and insight to know how uh, we live for you in the midst of this world that we find ourselves So we pray that you would give us discernment and clarity and and really uh, just focus in our lives, Lord, that we would uh, live for you in all that we do and that you would be glorified in our lives. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him, you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. And Father, we ask that you would lead us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, last week we, we looked at uh, verses 6 through 7, and the, the gist of verses 6 through 7, it was sort of the, the, the key, I think, of, of what he's trying to accomplish in Colossians. He wants these believers that have received Christ as their Savior to, to walk in him, to, to live their lives for Christ, uh, to be rooted in Christ being built up in him and established in the faith and overflowing with gratitude, sort of this, this fruit in the believer's life. Um, but Paul is worried that these individuals were going to be taken captive, that they were going to be literally kidnapped in the faith, that they would um, ha- their minds would be sort of set off course and they would take, be taken captive into a philosophy and understanding that is contrary uh, to Christ. And, you know, last week we had Bible trivia. It's always a lot of fun. You don't really have to study to come. It's always a plug. But Debbie gets these gifts. Like, it's, it's, it really is ridiculous how excited I get to win. I think it's just like I'm competitive. And by win, it's like a batch of like 10 people win at the same time. And then it's like this mad race to the prize table because she provides prizes. And so I didn't get the prize I wanted, but somebody else did. <laughs> And so I took it, and I played with it for the afternoon until it was time to go home. And the, the prize that was won was this little, like, megaphone. 
and the megaphone could convert your voice either into a woman's voice, a man's voice, or it was a robot voice. And I would have died to have this as a kid when I was prank calling people, the pre, uh, <laughs> pre, pre-caller ID. And so then I was taking it, and Melanie was right there, so Melanie was my victim. And I went to the computer, and I heard the voice. It's like the computer's like this scary voice. And I wish I, I, w- I didn't steal it long term. I would have brought it. But it was like, I have your children. <laughs> and I'm demanding $1 million. And Melanie's like, what are you saying? And I just keep saying, I have your children. It's way better with the thing. My voice doesn't have the thing. And she's like, Gunnar, I don't even have children. She didn't say anything about the million dollars, but she did say the, she, she said she didn't have kids. I'm like, see, you're just a terrible mom. You don't even know you have kids. And she's like, why do you keep threatening my children that you have them ransom? And I, and, and I think the reason that I was doing this, when I hear the terrifying voice, the most terrifying thing I can think of is like my children to be lost, let alone like taken captive. It, it's, it's horrifying. Like when Brianna, who's here, was flying from Romania and her dad's like texting us along the way. It was Sunday night and they were early morning, uh, or it was Saturday night our time, Sunday morning their time. And Chris is like, okay, the package is away. She's through security. He's like, he's sending in pictures. And then he's like, I did buy a ticket to Italy just in case I need to get back there to like help her out. And he's, and he's like, it cost $11. And I was like, oh, wow, okay. And, and so then... The, the situation, the package, is running into problems. And apparently she got through a checkpoint and they, it, all the bells and whistles started going off. And he's like, you know, child trafficking is such a big deal here that they're keeping it all down, so I've got to go through security. And, and so then he goes through, he, ta- he gets her through, you were there, so don't, I don't know what the rest is, but she's here. And then she's off and I'm like, oh, so you going to Italy today? And he's like, no, I got to talk my way out. I'm like, well, why don't you just buy a ticket, go there, spend the afternoon, come back? He's like, that would have cost $18 for round trip. And I was like, Chris, come on, you know, like, and so then he talks his way out. But it's, but it's this, like in Romania, there's like the, the, the legitimate problem of child trafficking. And I can't even imagine the horror that a parent would experience. Like, I, like, I think I just, you know, I took my boys to the Padres game a couple weeks ago and I'm like give me your arm, and I'm writing my cell phone and Sharpie on there just in case where they get lost, give them the briefing if anything happens about how to handle it. As a church, you know, years ago, we had Al Owens come to give, like, how to be aware in, in like, an environment of somebody's trying to take you hostage, and that was another funny, like, my boy's, like, Titus comes home, he's like, anybody takes me, I'm just going to take the key, and I'm going to stab him in the neck. I'm like, oh, 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 okay. And I didn't go. I'm like, what did they teach you? And like, and uh, it's, it's a sad like, reality of the world that we live in, that we really have to train our kids like, hey, scream, fight, yell, don't, if a stranger tries to offer you a lollipop. And so Paul is concerned for them being taken into captivity, not physically, but spiritually, that somebody would come alongside with a lollipop and say, look at this. This looks really good. Take it. And then they would be suckered in to to their ideology, their thinking that was separate from Christ. 
He begins in verse 8. He says, see to it that, and this word is literally to, to see, to be vigilant. Um, it seems to be positive, and it doesn't indicate that they have been taken captive. He's concerned that this is something that might happen, just knowing the risks and the environment that they lived in. For any of you that um, know people that were or are in the military or in law enforcement, you are just like... If you talk to any cop's wife, they know that when they go to a restaurant, they have to let the spouse choose the seat. Like I see, I'm not trying not to look at any cop's wives. Be, some would, I, we call it vigilant. Some would say hyper-vigilant. Some would say paranoid. So you make the call. But, but every, like you just know if you're with a cop or you're with somebody that's been in the military that's like, they're going to take this seat with their back to the wall so that they can see all the threats and just be, be, be cautious. Paul is telling us to have this same sort of behavior with the eyes of our discernment and looking at the world around us because there's so much stuff being fed to them, the Colossian believers, and to us as, as Americans in our setting that will lead us to go astray. There's so much in our culture today that's causing division over things that I don't know that the Bible is like making like as big of a case. Like there are people who are saying the Bible is telling me to do this. And if you're on the other side, you're wrong. But, but the thing is, there's, there's people claiming that the Bible is saying that both sides, like whatever side you're on, and, and sometimes I think if we get caught up in the, the culture wars, I, I think sometimes it's, that's not even of God, that we get kind of sucked into the culture without even realizing, but we think that we're defending the scripture, but we're totally sucked into like taking some spiritual side that God hasn't said. I'm getting ahead of myself. See to it that this, this is this warning to be vigilant, to be looking out, to be looking for threats, dangers, recognizing that every corner there's going to be something that's trying to lead you away from Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. This is the word. It's literally kidnapping, to take somebody out of their, it's not their own desire to be taken. They're tricked into it, and before you know it, they can't get out of it. No one takes you captive through philosophy. That's the the the. The love of knowledge. Certainly Paul is not criticizing knowledge, but they're dealing with Greeks, the the Gnostics, who took knowledge and said the information that you have about Christ isn't the full extent of knowledge, that there's more secret, uh, there's things that you can do to unlock and go deeper with knowledge, ultimately steering them away from Christ. Philosophy, empty deception, which is just straight up deceit, fraud, tricking an individual. The tradition of men, this is simple, that, that man has passed down certain traditions and rules of the road, and they present stuff as truth just based on their own preferences. Not a, according to the elementary principles of the world. This is literally like the ABCs of the world and its thinking. Like practically today, like as I um, just, I've been, 
I always know I'm in trouble when I look at my notes and I got all this chicken scratch all over it because it's like I'm processing, like, how, how do we do this in a practical sense in this world? Um, if you've asked me about my vacation, like, how was your vacation? It won't take long before I go down the rabbit trail that I ended up this summer. <laughs> so we were supposed to go to Zion. Somebody gave me a lead about going to Bryce. So we went to Bryce the first day, which was super awesome. And then we were going to come down through the northern side of Zion, drive through Zion back to where we were staying. And we happened to do this on the day of the flash flooding. If you heard in the news, there was all the flash flooding in Zion. So we, got, we were met by law enforcement at the north entrance, and they detoured us. Super cool. We got to these pink sand dunes. The sand looked like Himalayan salt. Like, it was amazing. They didn't taste like it, um, but it looked like it. And uh, I did. I tasted it. <laughs> I mean, we're doing somersaults, so you're going to taste it. Like, um, but then we got through this town that, like, since summer vacation, Ann and I have been on this super rabbit trail studying fundamental Latter-day Saints, like the polygamous group out of Colorado City. Because as we drove through, it's, I don't even need to get into it, but it's like, <laughs> like, but it led to this whole like thing about like, how do these people think this? And how, like from an outsider perspective, it seems so crazy that, that a group of individuals could get so like sucked into this this thinking that seems so odd, but it's the more I study and read about their perspective, the more I realize like it's super easy to see it in other people, but then to it, like there are things that we hold to that we think are of God, but it's really just because you're an American. Like you're an American, so you think Christianity is this, and then you will live and fight and die over these things that might not exactly be found in the scripture. And over this last year, there's been things that like we as a church have had to like grapple with, with the culture wars, like it's with, with coronavirus and being shut down. And thinking back to last year around this time, like when we're meeting at eight in the morning and like a hundred and something degree heat, and do we meet or do we not meet? And what's the thought process for our meeting and everybody out in social media is these theologians that understand what God has called believers to do and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. And here we are in our little world trying to figure out like we want to honor God, which means a whole bunch of things like honoring God, I believe means gathering honoring God also means like there is an element of submitting to the authorities that are over us. But how does this work in a, a practical sense and really like grappling with this? And if you go one direction, are you submitting to the world's thinking? And and I want to be really cautious because these things are like serious matters, and I don't want to like necessarily condemn people that are on the other side of the aisle from me. But but for us in a church, as we gathered, it's like okay, we we can honor the government by meeting outside. Like we can still like meet, and we can be outside, and we can kind of. We, we can meet in the middle and like we can honor, like we can honor both. And there were times when that slid. 
But, but going through that road, it's like, well, do I see anything in Scripture that sort of says, like, if there's danger or there's risk, does that mean that you forsake the assembly of one another? Some would say yes, and they'd say, well, the Bible says to love your neighbor, and therefore loving your neighbor means that you don't meet. I, I, I mean, I want to really be careful of not, I don't want to laugh. This is serious. Like, they are, like, genuine. And then there are others that would say, well, the Bible, like, there's been, like, there's a, thousands of years of Christians meeting, knowing that if they're busted, they're going to face serious consequences. And yet, they, to remain faithful, they're going to continue gathering. Which then this, this gathering in last summer led to, like, the, the riots and social justice movement. And in the midst of just trying to figure out the coronavirus and meeting and gathering, I started getting, like, peppered with, like, so what's the church going to do about the social justice movement? Are we going to start? Because now the media is saying that we have to act this certain way. Are we going to start going down this road? And grappling with the issues that, like, Certainly I'm opposed to racism. God says we all descend from Adam and Eve and we have different levels of pigment. Certainly there's like history in the world that's bad. But, but it's like, do we suddenly now, like are we going to like shift course on teaching the Bible and going through things in order to follow an agenda that the, that the, that the media is putting our way? Like, and that was a tough one, like because this is like a this is a philosophy, and there are many churches that have said, you know what, we're going to adopt this and we're going to restructure how we're doing things, and we're going to start going down this the 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 path of CRT and the social justice movement, and we're going to embrace this and we're going to sort of change how we do things. Like we've lost people, like we've had people leave our church because we said we're going to stay committed to going through the scripture, like just going through and allowing God to do that. Like it's not, this is not a simple subject, but there, there, are, there are these things all around us. I, I do recommend the book Fault Lines, if there's something you're interested in, Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham. It, like I'll have to read it a couple times. He addresses some of the stuff and about how churches are grappling with these day-to-day events in our world and are they staying true to the scriptures or not. It's, and he's an African-American man that grew up in the hood and he's a, he's a, like a, a scholar in his, in his own right and he really says some challenging points. Um, then beyond these more like tension-filled Things as we look at our world around us, as we're supposed to stay vigilant and we're not to be let off course. I think of lifestyle, um, social aspects, male and female, and how do you order your life pre-marriage before getting married? The, the world says one thing and the Bible says something totally different. What do we say about uh, genders. Um, there's there's so much out there. Like there are so many landmines, and for a, a Christian that believes in the Bible to say, you know what, I really believe in the Bible, and I want to do what the Bible says, and then we're faced with the world saying, well, the world has a problem with what you fill in the blank that the Bible says. 
then we really are at a, at a crisis, like at a crossroads trying to figure out how are we going to respond. And, and so many of these things, um, you know, like we get coronavirus, we get the vaccines, like all of these things are super divisive. And I know people on both sides that say, the Bible says absolutely not. The Bible says absolutely yes. And it's like, ah, oh, I feel really dangerous. Like when you start saying the Bible says this or that, unless you can point to like in Colossians 2.8, it says thou shall receive the vaccine or thou shall not receive the vaccine. Like you're on really dangerous like ground. I feel like so much of this, like we as Christians should be like in Joshua, when Joshua comes across, like he's about to get ready to go to battle. It's one of my favorite like scenes in Joshua when he comes across this angel and Joshua's like waving his, whose side are you on? Am I supposed to kill you or are we going together? The angel's like, I believe it's the pre-incarnate Christ. He's like, neither, I'm on God's side. You should probably reorientate your perspective. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy, deceptions, traditions, the ABCs of this world. This is, this is not easy stuff. Paul's writing that they, that they not be taken captive. I think the reality is, is for most of us, even if you're a Christian, the world has had so much say in your worldview that many of us are actually in captivity and from a posture of being in captivity and God is doing this work in our life, sort of getting us out of being a hostage. And I think we need to be in the word of God. I think we need to be seeking him. We really need to be considering and evaluating the things of the world sort of like with the desire that, Lord, I want to honor you. I want to have clarity in these things. I want to be humble. I think there's always like a warning light should come on if you're like super dogmatic, like this is the absolute way. And it's stuff that's, you know, like we want to have conviction. Like I'm all for conviction. I believe in conviction. I'm a passionate guy. I have like real dogmatic perspectives. And so I'm probably talking to myself. And I look at the Pharisees, the religious ones in the Bible, who totally miss what Jesus was doing in the midst of everything. And so, like, these are things that we really need to grapple with in our thinking and our understanding. When he says, see to it that, that we go about our days really evaluating. Are you taking the news and allowing the news to speak to you? Did you see some, uh, my favorite news source is memes on the, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I, uh, um, but to really evaluate the things that are, that are influencing you and where are your strong convictions coming from? Like where, who really is the mastermind behind getting you to think the way that you're thinking? He goes on to say to his point, which will be focused on in the next two weeks, rather than according to Christ. So in verses 6 through 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. That's where he wants us to be. But he's worried about being taken kidnapped, that you'd be taken hostage 
through philosophy, empty deception, according to the tradition of men, elementary teachings of the world rather than by Christ. So there's this whole system that's subtle, and it looks good on paper, and it may be really convincing, but ultimately it's trying to steer you away from Christ. There are too many things to list, but just think, I mean, it could be like education, like a person that starts out with good things and says, well, I'm going to homeschool my kids, and I'm going to go down this path, and then homeschooling becomes the God, or they say, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to do this, and I have to build this whole system of things. And then before you know it, they're worshiping the system, not Christ. There are so many things fighting for our attention and our allegiance rather than to Christ. If we are followers of Jesus, our lives should be oriented around him in every area. And I'm not naive enough to think that you all are bought into this. I think, well, why should I orientate my whole life around Jesus? And that's, a, that's, a, that's an excellent question. And I think it is something that Paul is anticipating that we're going to look at today in the, the, the last couple verses, and then it continues into next week. He said, well, why should you orientate your life around Christ? Why should you make him the measure? For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Uh, throughout Colossians, you'll see this word in, in him, in Christ, and it's used in, in a, like a multifaceted way. And we're going to go from in him, and then we're going to go from in him, but two totally different aspects of, of what he's saying. But this first part, he says, for in him, that's Jesus, his bodily form, who he is in nature, character, all, all that he is. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Have you ever heard the challenge that Jesus never claimed to be God? All, all the time. Like I hear it all the time. The same thing was going on there. Jesus never claimed to be God. That's absolutely false from a biblical perspective. And the Bible throughout continually places deity in Jesus fully and completely. And in short, what this says is Jesus is fully God, completely in nature, in all aspects of who Jesus is, he is God. This word deity is a unique word that's only used here, and it's, and it's a, Trench says this, instead of me trying to like articulate, Paul is declaring that in the Son there dwells all the fullness of absolute Godhead. There were, no mere, there were no mere rays of divine glory which gilded him, lighting him up in his person for a season, and with a splendor not his own, but he was and is absolute and perfect God. And the apostle uses theities to express this essential and personal Godhead of the Son. A bunch of people tried to like make, it's like trying to explain the Trinity. You just can't really do it. One described like the, the difference or distinction if you go out to like Arizona, that's as far east as I can think right now, and you find a fish aquarium that's got seawater or salt water that they have like sea creatures living in. But the water was really from the tap, and they used all the chemicals, and they recreated sort of like, like an environment that is just like the ocean so that the, the animals could survive in it. 
but that water is not actually salt water. It's like a reflection of what the ocean water would be like. And they also said that it would be like taking an aquarium, going into the Pacific Ocean and dunking it down, that in that aquarium, if you just take it straight from the ocean out, like the wholeness of the Pacific Ocean like exists within that aquarium. I think it breaks down. But he's saying that in Jesus, it's not the likeness of God. It is actually God. And there's a word deity that is like super close. It's more like divinity that Paul uses in Romans 1.20. And so there's a contrast. The word that he uses here exclusively, it is that in Jesus, the whole Godhead exists within him because he is God. Jesus in John 8.58, when they were talking to him and he got, him, he got the Jews all mad at him, when he said, before Abraham was, I am. I always existed. Now there's a similar word that's different by like one iota. And that you see in Romans 1.20. And it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. Now that word, what that is saying is like Psalm 19. For the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. You go out and you look at the Pacific Ocean and you think, wow. You can see the humpback whale breaching the surface and you can be blown away by its majesty out there. You can go at the microscopic level and see all the little you know, boogers flying around in there that I think I could like... I, like the things at the microscope, like life that's like, how in the world? You can see the, the majesty of the sequoias. And you can look at all this and you just scratch your head and you think, there ha- this, has, this testifies that there's a creator. This can't just happen. So there's a difference in that these created things reflect and point people to divine nature. But that's not what Jesus is. Jesus is God, is in his essence, in his form. Other things reflect Jesus' essence is. Again, Jesus is and always has been God. Last week, a young man approached me and he said, I want to talk to you about some things. And we went to the office and he said, somebody, my mom, she was saying some stuff that Kind of like the like he was saying stuff when he didn't quite know what he was saying, but what he was saying was very doctrinally sound. And I said, I think what you're pointing to is I think you're pointing to Genesis one twenty six, the very beginning, the foundation of of what we understand about the world and its existence. And in Genesis one twenty six, in the Hebrew, and in the, it's translated in English, but it says, then God said, let us make man in our image. And through these early writings where God documents who he is, he writes about himself in the plural. And so when we think about Jesus and we think about Christmas, it's so easy for us to think, oh, when when Jesus was born, that's when he came into existence. Because when I was born, that's like when I came into existence. Or if we really want to be technical, when you were formed. That's when you came into existence. And then a few months later, you were born. Jesus existed always because he's God. So when he came, 
He took on the form of man, but he existed always as God. Colossians 1.16, for him, for by him, that's Jesus, all things were created. As you read the pages of the New Testament throughout, Jesus is given credit for creation, holding all things together. This is divine nature that he is actually God. So why should you orientate your life around Jesus? Well, because he created you. Because he created everything that you know, this whole world around us, he gives you life and breath, purpose. Verse 10, and in him, you have been made complete. So we go from in him, the, the, the whole of deity dwells, but now this new in him, you have been made complete. So the in him means you being in him which is mind-boggling, that if you've received Christ as your Lord, you've been reconciled to God through the cross, you now have been placed into him, he's been placed into you. We're told that you have been made complete or that we have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. This is everything. In Jesus, we have everything that we need. We lack nothing. We need not look anywhere else to find joy, but we spend our whole lives like searching. Poor Mick Jagger. He's still looking. But in Christ, you can find true like peace and contentment, completeness. The Life Application Bible Commentary says that Christ is a unique source of knowledge and power for the Christian life. Christ alone holds the answers to the true meaning of life because he is life. He is the head. There is no, there's no competition. And so what do we do with this in this world that is, is really fighting against Christ? Steering us off course, saying, ah, God didn't create the world. It's just... There was this explosion like a billion years ago, and then some slime came, and then all of the temperatures just happened to be right, and then you came from that goo. After a bunch of trial and error of, you know, like, yeah, I skipped a whole bunch, yeah. <laughs> but we have, there's a whole system that's out there trying to steer people away from God. We in the church are are not safe, or 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 we're susceptible to being led astray. And so Paul consistently tells us to keep our eyes on the ball, which is Christ. In Acts chapter twenty, verses twenty nine through thirty two, it's one of the most like to me, it's one of the most powerful little sections in the in the Bible. Um, Paul knew he was going to go be taken under arrest, and that he would ultimately lose his life, and so. On his way to getting arrested, he stopped just outside of Ephesus and he gathers all of the elders together and he like has this like they're like hugging each other and crying and saying goodbye. And Paul tells them, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering 
that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I entrust you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. So right here he says, be on the alert. Same thing, be on the lookout. There is a battle raging around us. And it's never physical. It's always for our minds. And so we need to be on the lookout that we don't get taken hostage in our thinking. Romans 12.2, Paul writes, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is why taking in the word of God daily is so important. This is why being together and Studying the scriptures is so important. This isn't a time for a gunner to come up with little pep talks about what, you know, like how we navigate life. We work through the scriptures because in the scriptures there's grounding and, and God has revealed himself through his word. And so we need to keep our eyes on Christ. He's our only hope. Like when I look at the world's criticism, Like from the things that we talked about from like race, like the whole racism, this isn't like a biblical thing. Like this is God says that we're all descended from Adam and Eve. That we're brothers in Christ, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. There's no slave, there's no free man. The the cross levels the field. And as a church, we need to stay focused on the things that are the, the, the main things. And so with that, let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you. Lord, this, this, this section today is, is challenging, not necessarily to understand. It's, it's difficult to apply. For if we're honest with ourselves, it's, we need to be exposed in our thinking and the things that we, we cling on to. And There's a whole world out there that really invades so much of our lives that's trying to lead us astray. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to stay focused on Christ, that you would help us to have discernment in the midst of this world that so often tries to take the Bible and to manipulate it and to make it say whatever narrative that is popular, the flavor of the day. And so we pray that you would help us to keep our eyes on Christ, to help us to stay focused on the gospel that Jesus uh, paid it all for us. We thank you that we have life in him. We thank you that we have hope in him. Father, may that be our focus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a light to this lost world that is so desperately looking for hope and satisfaction that it's, that it's just not finding. It's searching for what can only be found in Christ. And so we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a beacon for you. We pray that you would help us to stay true uh, to your scriptures. Help our love for one another to be seen by the world. And we thank you that we have this love uh, from Christ. And it's in his good name we pray. Amen.